Generations Church exists to glorify God in our community, to make disciples of Jesus, and to multiply churches so that the next generation is equipped to glorify God better than we did. Welcome to the Generations Church podcast. My name is Rob Samuelson. I'm an elder here at Generations Church. With me, as always, is my good friend and the lead pastor at Generations, Mr. Jeff Luddington. And we are continuing our series, Questions from the Classroom. It's good to be back. I know we released one a couple weeks ago, yeah. but we actually recorded that over a month ago. So this is no, our first time back together. You can't tell everybody the secrets. Oh, sorry. Man. Those are private. They don't. Right. We're live right now talking to everyone anytime they pick up their phone. Got it. All yeah. right. So this is episode 40. And if you, mm. if you haven't been with us, we've been doing a series called Questions from the Classrooms, where Jeff and I have collected questions from our high school students at Valley Christian High School. And over the last 40 episodes, we've been answering one, two, or sometimes three of those questions at a time, uh, telling everybody that just to say that, hey, we're running out of questions. So we need our listeners to help us out. We need our listeners to send us some questions, some good questions, questions you have. Yeah, don't send bad questions. Yeah, or questions you think would just make for a good podcast. You can send those to the uh, email address questions at generations.email, or if you get uh, the link for this from social media, feel free if it's from... Jeff, or for myself, or from our church, yeah. feel free to just uh, comment and ask the question in the comment, and we'll get it there. So today's question, this is a great one, and uh, yeah, this is this could go some oh, a bunch of different directions, couldn't it? <laughs> we'll see what happens. We shall see. Here's the question, and this is a question that some of our students asked a while ago, but I also had a student ask me this recently. What if trauma or circumstances or experiences in one's past causes them to be a certain way how can they be held accountable for the things that they do? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I, you and I try to think of some circumstances that might be used in this case. And, and we, uh, we thought of a couple. Uh, one being, um, I've shared pretty openly about uh, my best friend. Uh, there was you know, a handful of us that grew up together, most of us kind of missing some parents and lived together for a long time, even when you're young. Uh, one of them took his own life and... Uh, his suicide came from a deep and dark depression. And so um, that was caused, I know a lot of his problems were caused by his dad dying at a really young, at his, when he was really young. Um, We've talked about sexual sin as well, even sexual orientation and gender identity issues um, that stem from abuse, uh, sexual abuse in in a person's childhood, or, you know, I'm, I'm sure at any time, but especially during a childhood can, shape the sexuality, uh, the sexual orientation, uh, other things in the, in the person's future. And so, um, yeah, so we're going to look at a passage today uh, that deals with someone enduring trauma and how they, uh, yeah, and what they do. And then, and then we'll talk about the accountability factor near the end. So I asked Rob to read this passage because there are some things that uh, I just didn't want to read. And so I uh, kind of snookered him into uh, reading it. So Genesis 38, Judah and Tamar. Rob, this is you. Wow. So yeah, I thought you just wanted me to read it because you think i am got a great voice. Yeah, that's totally the reason. All right. All right. Some people are already snickering because they know what this passage is about. <laughs> uh, Genesis 38, starting at verse 6. And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn. That might be another yeah. podcast. Ur. Who names their kid Ur? So Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. So why don't you just explain, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, who Judah is? Yeah. Why is he important? 
Well, yeah, when we hear Judah, typically we hear about a nation called Judah, right, or Judea, uh, comes from Judah. In fact, the word Jews comes from Judah. Uh, so Judah is, um, uh, right now, is just a, is a guy, right? He's, he is one of the sons of Israel, Jacob, right? And uh, I, think he's, I think we counted the other day, fourth oldest or something like that. Anyhow, so uh, he's a guy who's got some sons now, and he is in this lineage of promise, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah. In fact, there's been some big promises made on his family. One of them comes in Genesis 49, where it says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of all the peoples. And so the him, right, is a specific son or great, 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 great grandson of Judah that will eventually be Jesus. And so this is a a promised lineage, and it's not very far into the promise. Judah makes, I mean, I'm sorry, Israel, Jacob, makes the promise over Judah, and then he dies, and then this is now about Judah, so it's not very far into this family, and this is a pretty messy story today. So I'll let you do all the fun reading now. All right, so verse 7, but Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. That's awesome. How wicked do you have to be where God just says, I'm going to kill you? (laughs) Verse (laughs) (laughs) 8, this is where it gets fun. Um, Then Judah said to Onan, go into your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her, and raise up offspring for your brother. Now, now this is a pretty strange-sounding custom to us today, pretty right? Weird. If our if you know our brother passes away and he's married, we would have some financial responsibility. We okay. try to make sure that she was okay, but this seems to go well above and beyond that. Yeah, this is um, yeah, this this goes above and beyond that for sure. So. Here's the deal. Back in the day when women couldn't own a business or property or whatever, the, the ownership of a business, property, income, things like that, uh, went from father to son. And there was a culture, uh, I'm sorry, a custom uh, that the firstborn son got a double portion and the rest of the sons basically split up uh, in individual portions. And so uh, if you had three sons, the first son got 50% of whatever dad had. And then the other sons got 25% each, right? So that's how they would divvy things up. So Look firstborn son, math. there it is. Nice. You're the math teacher. I had to make sure I used an even number like four that I could parse <laughs> out. So um, yeah, so the deal was uh, the firstborn son got that double portion. Now, what if that guy dies? What happens to the wife? And that's our, our circumstance here. And so in Deuteronomy, God says this, if brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, so if brothers still live in the same city or same area, One of them dies and has no son. The wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take care of her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the firstborn son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. So basically, if you've got an older brother, you're a brother and you've got an older brother and he marries a woman, they have no kids, and then he dies your job is to impregnate her. And so you could take them as a wife, could be a redeemer, take them as an actual wife for the rest of your life, and then the firstborn child would be allocated to the first brother, or you could care for her physically as a wife to impregnate her so that she could have a son, so that she could get that inheritance. Now, that passage, and we just couldn't not read this to you, goes on and says this. 
And if the man does not wish to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate of the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to perpetuate his brother's name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak to him. If he persists, saying, I do not wish to take her, then his brother's wife, here you go, ladies, his brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders and pull off his sandal off his foot and spit in his face. That's awesome. <laughs> so beyond the creepy sleep with your brother-in-law to give him a child, if he wasn't going to do it, you could go take his sandal, throw it at him, and spit in his face. So that's awesome. But that was the culture. That was the, the way you would provide children for a, for a woman who had become a widow. All right. So Onan has this responsibility, verses 9 and 10. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So whenever he went... Into his brother's wife, he would waste the semen on the ground, so as not to give offspring to his brother. And what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and he put him to death also. All right, you made me read that I passage. I can't believe you said that. You go ahead and explain on it to everybody. On air live. What does that mean? So, well, I think everybody knows what it means. Um, yeah, it's an awkward passage. So basically, he would go in. So Onan is the next older brother. There's three that we know of. And so Onan would go into Tamar, sleep with Tamar, but then not impregnate her. And so intentionally spill the seed outside of her. And so that's the passage, right? He's supposed to provide a, a child, a son, needs a son for an inheritance. But here's what he's doing. He's going in and sleeping with her, and he's just using her for sex. In fact, I, I would say he's abusing her. Right? He's taking advantage of her sexually and not living up to his end of the deal, which is giving her children. Right, So here's a woman in Tamar who's experienced trauma. She, she's experienced the trauma of first having a wicked husband that's so wicked that God kills him. Like I don't know how that goes about, but that's bad. right? But she's a widow. She's endured loss at what is apparently a young age. And now she's enduring some sexual abuse, right? Where instead of giving her a child, he's just using her for sex and then on purpose preventing her from having children. So I would say Tamar's a case of experiencing trauma. But for me, she's not one who's going to allow that to dictate how she lives her life. So let's hear the rest of the story, Rob. All right, so verse 11. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, remain a widow in your father's house till Shelah, my son, grows up for he feared that he would die like his brothers. So Tamar went and remained in her father's house. So I'm not sure at this point if Judah is blaming Tamar for the death right. of his first two sons, or if he's just thinking, you know what, my sons are evil, but God doesn't seem to do anything, like doesn't waste them until they, they right. marry her. Um, but somehow he selfishly at this point says, I don't want this to happen to my last son. And so he makes a decision to withhold his last sons and not have his son perform this duty. Um, is, is this okay? Is he, is he doing the right thing or is he sinning against Tamar? What's happening here? So if Judah has the responsibility of providing either a husband from his sons or a grandson, right? Ultimately is what he would be providing through a son for her. And he withholds that from her because he's fearful uh, because the because the last two guys have died, right? And so if he does that, then ultimately he is allowing the trauma in his life to shape what he does in response. Is that fair? Right? We look at the trauma of Tamar, 
of you know the loss of a husband, sexual abuse, things like that. And we're going to look at her actions. But to be fair, Judah allows the trauma of two lost sons who seem to be pretty bad guys, but he loves them, right? But he allows that to shape his actions. And so as we see this story play out, here's what I'm going to say. Judah's actions are not okay. He has an obligation, and it's an obligation created by God. Provide for her. Provide from your sons for her. Even if it's not a long-lasting husband, it's a child. Provide a child. So he allows trauma to dictate his actions, and we're going to talk about her in a minute. All right, so let's see the twist that this story takes, verses 12 through 14. In the course of time, the wife of Judah died. When Judah was comforted and he went up to Timnah to his sheep shearers, he and his friend Hira, the Adulamite, and when Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up, and sat at the entrance to a name, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah was grown up, and she had not been given him in marriage. This is like that uh, she sells she seashells <laughs> down by the seashore. Okay, so this is the real reason why I didn't want Again, to read this for passage. Me read this. You're Appreciate welcome. Sheep shearers and <laughs> Shua and I don't know. Anyhow, so here's the deal. A lot of time goes by, and that's what's missed. When we're reading sometimes verse after verse after verse in one story, it feels pretty immediate. But she marries, she loses a husband, and then another uh, brother-in-law comes in and to you know, and then abuses her. And then he dies, God kills him too. And then Judah makes the conscious decision not to give another brother to her. And then some more time goes by. And then Judah's wife dies. And more time goes by. And he gets ready to go back to work. So he's grieved the loss of his wife. And he's on back to work, right? So lots of time has gone by. But what we're told is Shayla has grown up. And she's not been given him in marriage or given, you know, a child, right? And so time goes by. And that's what I think's missed here. So verses 15 and 16, when Judah saw her, he thought that she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. He turned to her on the roadside and said, said come, let me come into you, for he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. She said, what will you give me that you may come into me? So this is where the story gets weird, right? And we're going to skip over some just for time's sake. But Long story short, she dresses like, like a prostitute, goes over to the, the road to Timna where he's going to shear his sheep, if I can say. There we go. All right. And uh, so she covers herself, looks up like she looks like a prostitute, and he propositions her. She bargains with him. And the money that he does not have on him now as he's going up to do business, right? He'll have money later. So she talks him into leaving a pledge. He's going to leave. One of the things is his ring, the signet ring that is obviously his and knowable to be his. She sleeps with him uh, and then uh, he goes back to pay her and she's gone. And he's like, listen, man, I can't take the embarrassment of admitting that I got ripped off by a prostitute. So let's just ignore the whole thing. I'll get a new ring. Then the story goes on about 90 days later and you're going to pick us up in verse 24. About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. The floozy. Right? <laughs> so here we go. All right. So this is another in a many cases of uh, double standard here, right? And so he clearly sleeps with a prostitute and somehow, you know, hey, and, and he knows it's wrong. Remember, he didn't 
want the embarrassment. Like he didn't want to admit he slept with a prostitute. So he lets this all go away, right? Well, then she's pregnant. So it's 90 days later. She begins to show and he's like, bring her out. We're going to burn her to the ground. Okay, well, that's not good. So keep reading. Let's see how this plays out. All right, verses 25 and 26. (laughs) As she was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law, by the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, please identify whose these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. Then Judah identified them and said, she is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son Shelah. And he did not know her again. So no more sleeping with her. That's good. That's a good part of the story. Um, But here's what we've got. We've got a guy who endured the trauma of the loss of his own sons, even the loss of his wife. And his choices don't reflect very, uh, they're not very godly in their responses, right? And then we have Tamar, who is kind of the victim of several guys, a a bad husband, a selfish father-in-law, and then a really, really crappy brother-in-law, right? And so, Um, And she's the one most affected, right? She is the one who, as a widow, is the poorest and the most in need. And so the one who's the most in need is the one who's most abused in this case. Um, But what happens is she tricks him into sleeping with her. She takes a ring to prove, you know, as to hold as like collateral, then bounces. She leaves, right? And so when it's found out she's pregnant, he wants to have her destroyed, which will get him out of stuff, right? So again, a a hypocrisy, a different level of standards, a, a bit more probably trauma, but she busts him because she's got his ring, right? And so um, tell, how does this story, Rob, end? And we'll talk about, we'll get back to our question for the day. So verses 27 to 30, when the time of her labor came, there were twins in her womb. And when she was in labor, one put out a hand and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread to his hand saying, this one came out first. But as he drew, his hand, drew back his hand, behold, his brother came out first. And she said, What a breach you have made for yourself. Therefore, his name shall be called Perez. Afterward, his brother came out with a scarlet thread on his hand. His name was called Zerah. So it appears that the outcome is what God had intended all along with this whole custom was that she has children. But did she go about it correctly? Obviously, he didn't go about it correctly. Great. Good question. And so what we do see besides, she has these twins, but the whole scarlet kind of thread thing, right? is it matters which one comes out first, right? Because that double inheritance goes to that firstborn. So at first we think it's one guy and this, you know, one of the sons and then it's the other. But long story short, I want to fast forward to the Gospels. And in the opening verses of Matthew, it says the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, the son of Isaac, son of Jacob, or the father of Isaac, father of Jacob, etc. I'm, I'm kind of short forming it. And then Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. So here's what happens. You fast forward, you know, another, you know, several hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, many generations later. And what we see is Jesus comes through this line of people. God fulfills his commandment that it's going to come through Judah. And it's going to run right through this story of Tamar, her son Perez. And so it's going to all the way down to Jesus, right? And God fulfills his promises. But you're asking the question, and I think, and and the student that asked this is, what about the trauma, the circumstances, the experiences that cause people to act in specific ways? Can they be held accountable for what they do? I would say yes, right? I mean, Judah is accountable for all this, right? And, And he makes poor decisions. And Tamar, 
for me, I, when we read this with our, you know, 2022 now lens as we read this, right? It seems like she's lying and sleeping with this guy and, tri- you know, whatever, but she's actually staying within the provision of God. God said, this is the family that's going to give you children, right? And then the, the family fails her, but she doesn't go trick somebody else into sleeping with her. She stays within the provision of God. And as weird and as oddly, you know, outside our culture as it is, she stays in that, right? And she doesn't allow the trauma to shape her and, and to cause her reactions to be sinful, Judah does, right? In this story, the woman handles it really well, and she's got the most trauma. And Judah, though he loses some sons and eventually a wife, I mean, things that we could all experience, he doesn't handle it well. And he's accountable for that. So obviously in our lives, there, there's trauma, there's circumstances, there are things that cause us to act a certain way, think a, a certain way. But um, are those circumstances factored in when it comes to are we accountable, are we responsible for our sin? Can we use those things as excuses. Right. And that's, and that's what happens. Well, this happened to me, therefore this, right? As if whatever the this is must now be condoned. And so here's what I would say. That's the kind of, um, that's the kind of thing that is perpetuated today, especially in liberal circles and liberal theology circles. Uh, well, this person is born this way, therefore it, we have to allow for it. Or this person likes this or, you know, desires this, therefore we've got we to do that. And there's limitations on that, but it does get said. And we can't use the trauma in our life to, to kind of sweep sin under the carpet, if you will. And, and what I would say there is that kind of gospel ignores the fact that God is powerful enough to transform your life no matter how you're born, or, or what happens to you in your life, right? And, and I say that because, you know, people say, well, I'm born this way, or this happened to me, right? And again, I would go back to my friend that committed suicide. He didn't ask for that. It wasn't even his father's sin. It was his father's death when he was a little kid that caused this. But his suicide was still sinful. And we, we've talked about that. It's not that it's unforgivable, but taking of a life is still sin, Right. Just like if you commit murder, it's, it is forgivable, but it's still sin, right? And so sexual orientation, gender identity, depression, uh, just all those different things that people say, this is due to the trauma. I would say this, they're going down the road of Judah, who is allowing the trauma to shape his decisions, where Tamar doesn't. Like, she stays in the provision of God, and God honors that, and on, and, and she is one of four women that are noted in the genealogy of Jesus, and most of them don't have good backgrounds. And her story is crazy, but she does really stay in the provision that God gives. All right. Well, let's wrap that up right there. Um, hopefully we answered that question well for the students that had asked it and for any of you that were thinking along that same line. We want to thank you for listening. And again, we'd like you to send us some questions at questions at generations.email or anywhere you see this posted on social media. If we can see it, then we can see your questions there. Uh, Please like it, subscribe to our podcast, share it. We will have another episode out for you each Tuesday. May God bless you this week. Mm